In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. A beautiful hymn indeed, and, and most fitting for our Advent meditation. Those first words we sang of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be. He is Alpha and Omega, He the source, the ending, He. Those words draw our contemplations outside of time and space to contemplate the mystery of the eternal Father begetting His eternal Son, something we simply cannot comprehend. The scriptures teach us that God is one, And God is love. And the love between the persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, form the basis of creation, redemption, and sanctification, the three articles of the creed. So this year, our Advent midweek services will focus on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relation to the birth of Christ. One of St. Augustine's favorite ways to preach in Advent and Christmas was to talk about the two begettings or the two births of Christ. One begetting and birth outside of time, the eternal Son begotten by the eternal Father, and one begetting and birth inside of time, the only begotten Son born of the Virgin Mary. The Son, outside of time, is begotten of the Father's love, and the Son, inside of time, is begotten of the Father's love. And that's the title of my homily for this evening, Of the Father's Love Begotten. Advent is certainly a good time to ponder the love of God. And the scriptures tell us plainly that God is love. But one mistake we are especially prone to make in this latter age is to reverse that, not confess that God is love, but confess rather that love is God. The first is true, the second is not. In fact, the the second, that love is God, is in fact the root of our modern idolatry. We take what we think we know about love, our weak and sinful understanding of love, and then we fashion God into this image. You hear this all the time from people who do not acknowledge that Jesus is God's son, who do not acknowledge that Jesus is the savior of the world, but they suddenly know how Jesus would respond in love to the various contemporary issues of our day. Give me a break. Even inside the pale of Christendom, we have this problem. When we take our weak and sinful understanding of love and remake God into this image. We might then wonder why the God of the scriptures seems so unloving. Unloving according to what? Well, my own definition of what love is. We might even ask, how could a loving God allow so many people to go to hell? 
Or how could a loving God crucify his own son? And so it's no mistake that these two teachings are widely and openly attacked in Christendom today. And there are many Christians who say, a loving God couldn't crucify his son. A loving God couldn't allow so many people to go to hell. And so these doctrines plainly taught in the scriptures are rejected. And again, the root of this is this simple but rather profound error of not comprehending what it means that God is love, instead making our notions of love into God. So a good baseline for us would be to confess that we know as little about love as we do about God. And in fact, the only things we know about God are those things that come to us from his word. And so too, the only knowledge we can have of love whatsoever must also come to us in his word. One of the popular creeds of our contemporary ages, love is love, which perhaps you've pondered on. Not only is it profoundly stupid, but it's also heretical. And it really means nothing more than what I think is love happens to be love. What does the father do in giving his own beloved son? This is the most profound expression of biblical love, the most profound teaching of biblical love we have. In the first place, the Father gives that which is most valuable to him. If you're a parent, you could consider it this way. Would you rather lay down your life or lay down the life of your child? What's more valuable? Any parent worth their salt would rather lay down their own life for their child a hundred times. I mean, unless their child's a teenager, then you might question it. But, but you see the point. In the father handing over his son, he's handing over something infinitely more precious to him than his own life. We see this in the Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac, where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, but stops him at the last moment, only later for God himself to go through with this very thing on the very same mountain with his son. How do we understand this as love, that God would send his son to die that the cross would be the reason for Christmas. How do we understand this as love? Here is where our text, Isaiah chapter 49, comes into great use and purpose. I'm simply going to walk through it very briefly and point out what's going on. While the text may appear at first glance to be a dialogue between the prophet Isaiah and God, and in some ways it is that, it far transcends this. And what we see is a dialogue between the Father and the Son. Beginning at verse 1 of Isaiah 49, the Father is speaking. Listen to me, O coastlands. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. It is, it is uh, the Son here who is speaking. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. Now, in and of itself, this verse does wonderfully to show that life begins in the womb. But, of course, it's about much more than this. 
The sun continues. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Obviously, this is about far more than Isaiah. This is what the Father says to the Son. You are my servant Israel. The Lord Jesus is true Israel. Israel Israel was meant to be and never was. In whom I will be glorified. Now listen to the Son's response. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. When would the Son speak those words? As he's hanging from the cross. That would be precisely the sentiment. Look, my entire life has come to this. I am condemned and hung from the cross to die. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. And now he speaks in faith. Yet surely, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. This great weakness he will turn to strength. This great loss, he will turn to victory. It is the faith of our Lord Jesus. Verse 5, and now the Lord says, this is the Father's turn to respond. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, the Father says to the Son, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too little for you to merely be the Savior of my people Israel. I am going to make you the Savior of of the entire world. Thus says the Lord, verse 7, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Again, these are descriptions of Christ and why He was crucified. He's deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Yet listen to what the Father says to Him. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Indeed, for a time you are deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, and yet I will reverse all of this, my son. Kings will see and rise and princes, and they will fall prostrate before you. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. What then do we see? In this text, we see a dialogue between the Father and the Son. And we see that not only does the Father profoundly love his Son, but because he loves him, he challenges him to so much more. It's too little for you to merely be the servant of my people. I am going to challenge you to be the Savior of the entire world. Again, if you're a parent, maybe particularly a father, You get this. You get this. It is not enough, my son, to merely beat me at living room football. (laughs) 
you've got much more to accomplish in your life than this. And so the challenge from father to son is one of love. We can see how the father sends his son to die and to rise again because he loves him and because he is challenging him to more. The father loves and challenges his son, and then this too becomes obvious. The father loves and challenges us because we too are his sons. We too are his children. It is too small a thing that you would have an easy life. It is too small a thing that everything would go exactly as you want it to go. It is too small a thing that there would be no great challenges to your faith for you to overcome. It is too small a thing that you would experience no dark nights of the soul. We can even see death this way. It would be too small of a thing. Therefore, you must pass through all manner of physical and mental struggle, all manner of spiritual attack, all that the devil, the world, and your sinful nature can throw at you, And ultimately, you must even pass through death itself and thereby conquer these very things through your faith in me, through your trust in my goodness. This should be enough to strengthen us through every trial and suffering. God challenges us to more because he loves us. The Father loves us as sons and so challenges us as sons. For we too are of the Father's love begotten. Not as our Lord Jesus, not in eternity, not either in the virgin's womb, but we are of the Father's love begotten in time and in the virgin church's womb. Of the Father's love begotten through the waters of holy baptism made into a new creation, a son who is being fashioned into the image of the very Son of God, children who are being fashioned into the likeness of the very child of God. Because God is love. And so here, too, we see how obvious it is that we need to learn what it is to love by learning from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. As the scriptures say, this is love. Not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us and set forth his own beloved son to be the propitiation for our sins. Unto us a son is given, a gift of the Father's infinite love, a savior and a model, a template for what God is causing us to become. Unto us a son is given, true son of God, also true son of man. And it is those two themes we'll be looking at as we look at the son next week. A blessed evening and a most blessed advent to all of you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.